The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You've just landed on the Ellis Martin Report. Stay with us as we present you with expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp. Trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the silver guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is TheMorganReport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Alice, good to be with you. It's been about a week since we had that big smashdown in the precious metals market and, and commodities. We could speculate about the cause of that. One of the things that I came up with was the, the Fed's just wanting control all, over all monies, period. And when it, you get into gold the gold standard and states' rights and all that, then it gets out of the hands of the powers that be. What are your thoughts? Well, exactly. I mean, the whole idea, as we've talked about in the past and we should continue, is that the idea was that individual rights, the rights of the individual human being, were God-given, constitutionally secured. And they, the people, had all the rights. All the rights resided by the fact that they were inalienable rights. The fact that you were born gave you the right. And really, the restrictions were, one, you could do anything that you said. In other words, you had to live your word. Your word was your honor. Your sacred honor was your word. If you said you were going to pay X amount or you were going to put up a building or you were going to do whatever, you did it. If you didn't do it, then you had to have a legal remedy. And the legal remedy, of course, got involved sometimes at the state level. So all of the rights resided in the people. Some of those rights were ceded to the states, and the states ceded some of their rights to the federal government, which overlaid the states or connected them in a contractual relationship for basically, at the beginning, we're talking about the beginning, the, the initial concept, for protection. In other words, and then as things evolved, it became the Interstate Commerce Clause and on and on. I mean, it's just so convoluted now, it could spend 27 weeks on it and not cover it all. So what do I think? I think that that's the direction we're starting to move again. I think the pendulum has swung too far to big government, and I think it's swinging back the other direction. Well, it's swinging back in the other direction, but in the process, some people are getting hurt. Well, that's true. 
I mean, the reason being is that, you know, I've taken something very elegant and rather simple into something extremely complicated where I don't know if this is true or not, but you hear all the time in the circles I run around in that the average citizen out there breaks, you know, two or three laws a day and doesn't even realize it. This thing, again, has become so cumbersome and convoluted, we really don't know where we stand in so many areas. So, again, people are getting fed up. I mean, that as a pun and as a non-pun, in other words, they're just, they've had enough. And then the Federal Reserve System that most people now realize is a private banking consortium that basically controls governments because money is all-powerful in a lot of ways. And because of that fact, these, you know, too big to fails are basically not failing because they're putting the burden on the back of the people. Well, the people are broke, so how's that going to work? Let's go back in time just a little bit. It's 2007, 2008, 2009, maybe even 2010, and we're looking at $1,400 gold in April of 2013. That still looks pretty good, doesn't it? I think it does, yes. Let's step back even further. Let's say some folks wanted to profit in the gold and silver market, and they drove the market up a few years ago, and they're just profit-taking now in a concerted effort. What really happened is technically the charts broke down. All the futures markets run off the charts. It's a fact. Was it a setup? Probably. Was there collusion? Probably. There was an inordinate amount of selling. When you sell naked shorts, you sell gold and silver that don't exist in massive quantities. The market doesn't care because it's a sale. It's an electronic sale. It's a derivative sale. Nonetheless, it's a sale. And this thing got just creamed. And then there's, of course, things that follow suit because you have like these large ETFs and they do have some physical metal backing them in most cases, if not all. And this metal, of course, has to get sold because there's, you know, people wanting to redeem or sell out their shares. So it kind of feeds on itself. So you had kind of a feeding frenzy to the downside, massive, massive volumes, huge volumes. And whenever you have big volume in one direction or the other, it's very important to pay attention. And so it'll take some time to rectify the situation. So basically, I think it was a bullion bank slash central bank Psychops operation. Hugo Salinas Price uh, did a very good article on the psychology behind this. And basically, it's the bankers, in my view, and I agree with him and many others that have said similar things. It's like, look, you don't want to be out of the dollar. You don't want to be out of the yen. You don't want to be out of the euro. You want to be in these wonderful paper currencies because if you're not and you're trying to find a safe haven in gold or silver, look at what can happen to you. Oh, shame on you. You don't want that that metal. You want to be safe. You want to be in the bond market. You want to be in the stock market. You want to be in these safe situations. Well, I have news for you folks. Those are about as safe as <laughs> they are not safe. All investment classes are risky. All. The safest one of all in a long period of time, of course, is gold and silver, but more gold than silver. Uh, gold is less volatile. And we had some studies. I watched three or four of the Bloomberg uh, updates on gold, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, they did one on, you know, the true real price of gold is 800 from some professor. And, you know, I always question these some of these articles. I mean, this guy's probably smart. He's got a PhD. I've only got a master's, whatever that means. Uh, to me, it doesn't mean much. So he's basing gold on the ratio between gold and the CPI. Well, for crying out loud, who in their right mind that can think beyond the ability of a kumquat thinks that the real CPI that's produced by the government is, is worthwhile? So he's basing his whole analysis that gold should be $800 on a fictional CPI that's been changed so many times and so convoluted it has absolutely no meaning. 
I mean, we're in the 1984 reality. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Gold going down is beneficial to the world. I mean, you know, it's just unbelievable. And yet, you know, you get the Bloombergs to sit there and parrot this nonsense. And unfortunately, so many people are undereducated on money, metals, and mining, especially money, that they don't get it. They say, oh, wow, this guy's a PhD, he's a professor, Bloomberg ran the article, Bloomberg ran the article, oh my goodness, gold's only worth 800, is at 14 now, oh, I'm not touching gold, which is the primary purpose. The primary purpose is to move the market in the direction that they want to move it. And again, and they're probably buying here. I mean, there's been articles on that. I don't know. I do know the central banks have been buying. I know one thing I think I could say with very much authority, and this isn't my authority, this is the authority of the industry. China and Russia are very happy to continue to buy gold. They're even happier to buy it at a lower U.S. dollar price. And they have not abandoned ship. And the other thing I look at is something very simple. Like, you know, look, go, go back a few months. You went back in time. Let me go back in time. Germany says, hey, we want our gold out of the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. And the Federal Reserve Bank in New York said, what? Well, no, we can't do that. It's going to take like seven years to get your gold back. And then another month or so goes by in Texas, the Republic of Texas, Texas State, part of the several states of the Federation of States, says, hey, we want our gold back. And they say, oh, no, 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 you can't have a gold back. So there's so much gold floating around. You could sell, you know, billions of ounces, you know, millions anyway. Where's the, what's the problem? There's no problem. But there's a problem. So there's two markets. There's this fictional paper market that sets the price. And then there's the honest-to-God physical market where there's huge premiums right now for people to get the real deal. At some point, those markets will, they will move away from each other. Right now, you can probably still get real delivery from uh, the COMEX on silver and gold. And will that last forever? I doubt it will last for the next several months. I think it will. There's articles out there saying, no, that's not the case, that uh, you know, it's imminent that they'll fail. But the problem that some of those writers don't get, in my opinion, is that about 98%, and actually even higher than 98% of those contracts are always settled for paper anyway. So, and in the rule book, when you sign a contract and you claim by checking the box and signing your signature that you've read the rules, most people don't. They just sign the forms because they're too difficult to understand and to read. says right in them that you have to settle in cash if we say so. So how would that be a default? A court of law would say, remember, go back to the basic premise, do everything you say you're going to do. You sign the contract saying you'll abide by your rules. It's a contract. And the contract says you will you will settle in cash if you if the CME, the Commodities Mercantile Exchange says settle in cash. You already signed your name saying yes. So how's that a default? It's not. You signed the contract. So you know I have trouble with some of this stuff on the net, as you know, Ellis. And certainly, you know, I am on the side of an honest financial system. I basically put my life into this, and I want that for everybody. Uh, it's an idealistic look, and it's certainly unattainable overnight but you know we got to keep moving that pendulum the correct direction in my view and that is to more transparent open honest system i think it is moving that way slightly but this uh correction if you want to call it that i call it more of a collusion 
in the metals market is going to take some time to repair. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral-prolific and mining-friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp.'s 5,000-meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong, proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. So we see some chaos. We don't have, in your words, an honest financial system in place. How do we invest in it, David? How do we invest in it right now? What do our listeners do? Well, if you look at it, it all comes down to what's called confidence or trust. And, you know, if you've got a piece of gold that's, you know, some purity that you know, that's something you don't have to worry. It's not a trust issue. Does the paper price fluctuate? Well, obviously it does. But it's something solid, something that has historical significance throughout the recorded history of mankind. You can't say that about a U.S. dollar or a Zimbabwe dollar or the yen or any other fiat currency. They've all failed. Every one of them has. And just because the bankers are able to spook the majority of the population doesn't mean that, you know, 1% can't escape or maybe 2% at the top of the market. And I, again, you know, I think you should be conservative. You know, I've stated you think 20% is enough, you know. You don't have to put all of your money in the metals. You know, ten percent is probably enough for most people, and twenty for people that are aggressive. You say, well, where else should you invest? Well, I think commodity sector is the place. Personally, I sort of agree with Jimmy Rogers. I think you should look at energy. Energy, everything in the world runs on energy, not on the metals market or even on the fiat paper system. Even though most people think that's what it runs on, no, it runs on energy. So, energy is a good place to invest. Water. Food, look at the necessities. And people say, well, shelter is a necessity, therefore housing. Well, that's a different thing. I don't have time to go into it. You don't really want to buy um, anything that's really high in debt. And the whole mortgage market is a debt market. So there are cases. I mean, farmland, I think Mark Faber, Dr. Farber, has talked about that. There are other areas. I just happen to specialize in the precious metals arena. And that's certainly, I think, extremely important. But it's not the only area. And, of course, always yourself. You know, invest in yourself. Get a better education. Learn a new skill. Read more. Do more. Be more. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do just on a face-to-face basis. I mean, you don't have to change the world. Just, you know, helping someone else understand what's really going on out in the economy. That's something I think that's very worthwhile. Well, that certainly is very, very good advice for anyone listening to the program, no matter what their status or fortune is in life. You can always improve upon yourself. I don't see the bullion dealers complaining right now. It's a buyer's market, and it's a seller's market for them, and they're doing fantastic business at these prices. Yeah, there's huge demand on the physical side of the market for both gold and silver. 
at these levels. A lot of them are backed up, meaning that they're delaying, they're taking orders, but they're saying you're going to have a three-week delay, four-week delay, or more in some cases. Some dealers that are well-known on the internet for having you know very low markups, very good prices, in other words, of basically closed shops. Some of your smaller dealers uh, that don't really hedge, they just close up. They might have inventory, but they don't want to sell it at loss, so they just close shop. But the point is that there is a, a very robust demand for physical metal, and I think that will continue. So I look at it again as like the 2008 financial crisis. And that one, you could say gold and silver went down for a reason. I mean, things were unwinding rapidly. But in this instance, you got to look at why. And the why here is no one can say with absolute certainty, but it certainly looks like the bullion banks and the powers that be, maybe the central banks as well as the bullion banks, wanted this thing to get clobbered. Again, it's a perfect setup for them. I mean, technically, it was one place on the charts for both the metals, gold and silver. I said 1550 on gold and 26 on silver. Those are rough numbers. There's others. You get a, a different number that's very close. Anyone else at this technical work, their numbers are very close to mine. Regardless, the number isn't exactly the point. The point is that once it breached a certain level, there was very little support. This is basic technical work. This isn't even that advanced. And once those levels were broken, look out below. And I warned my members about this several times. I mean, and then when it got right to the kind of the finish line. I thought it would hold. You know, I really thought the $26 level would hold, but when it didn't, I, I was putting out a lot of videos that week. I said, look, it closed on the low at the 26 level. On the low, that's a sure sign that it's going lower. Look out below, and of course, that's what happened. A great many people made money once the market came back around 2010 or so for the time period that did with regard to metal stocks, and they're much more beaten down today. So is this even potentially a bigger opportunity right now? I think it is a bigger opportunity. The concern I have is how many people have given up or how many people have been worn out or scared out or how many people have cash at these levels. And the answer to that is I don't know. But as far as opportunity, wow, this is an opportunity. Now, you've got to be very selective because there's a lot of junior companies out there that won't come back. There's some that are just going to be dead because it's going to take too much time and they're not going to get funding. Buy low might be very true, but to buy low in a company that's viable, in other words, that's solvent, that's going to be able to last. So if you're thinking about a company, you better do the research or have someone help you with the research. And I'm not trying to sell my report. That's a good place to start. There's several others out there. But if you're on your own, that's fine. But do your homework. Look at what the Treasury has and find out what the burn rate is. So if it's got a million dollars in the Treasury and it's burning that 500000 a month, it's got two months left. If it's got a million in the Treasury and it's burning at 10000 a month, then you probably could look at that company and probably get through this. And I'm just using those as numbers. You can bump those numbers up by any factor that you want to. But you've got to take a real good look before the investor. You've got to really be selective. But there are companies that are so levered to the upside because of beaten to the downside so much that there will be fortunes made in this sector two or three, maybe four at the most years out from now. Is David Morgan taking any money off the table and investing right now based on what you just said? Well, I'd say it a different way. I mean, I've had cash on the sidelines because I have a trading account. And I haven't made, you know, I had a trade on at 29.40. I said the trade, you know, silver had to go up through that. It had to be good volume. And it never happened. You know, it went down. So I never got an order in because I make the money. The way I trade, I make the market prove it. I don't tell the market to do anything or try not to. I like the Richard Russell approach. The market knows more than any of us. And when the market's proving itself up or down, whatever it's doing, then that will dictate what to do. 
And right now, we're very low. Sentiment's horrible. And yeah, I've, I've saved some cash in my trading account. Yeah, I am taking advantage of it right here and right now. Yes, I am. Let's finish up with a discussion about the Morgan Report, David, for those that are not subscribers at this moment. Okay, well, let's talk about, you know, what they can get for free because, you know, I know people um, always want something for free. And one is that these type of interviews I put on the YouTube channel, which is uh, Silver Guru. So if you go to the YouTube channel and subscribe, we try to put all of these interviews up on that channel. We have been moving some to the front page of themorganreport.com. You can also go to Twitter. I put out some articles there uh, that I think you should read at... uh, Silver Guru 22 or Silver Guru 22 at Silver Guru 22 is a Twitter feed. As far as the free email list, I think that's about the best bargain in the, in the industry. Basically, you just go to the website and scroll down to the bottom of it, of the website, that's silver-investor.com. If you do that, you'll see join our free list. It takes about two minutes or less, and you can get on our free emails, and that usually has all of the interviews I do during the week and a question of the week. That's all about the free stuff. As far as people that actually want to make money and get some analysis, that is over on the right-hand side of the website, and there's a little pull-down menu for the Basic Plus Trading Membership, the Premium Membership, and the M3 Alliance. And all I have to do is click those, and you will get all kinds of information on what those are and also a video that explains it. So all you have to do is go to the website and spend a few minutes on the basic trading membership, premium membership, or the M3 Alliance, and you will find out what your money will do for you as far as trying to navigate this very interesting, very satisfying, yet very beat up sector. So you are finding satisfaction at the moment somehow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been through it before, but you got to remember my age and how long I've been in these markets. So, you know, stuff that will rattle uh, even a seasoned investor definitely does concern me and does it get to me somewhat, yeah, but much less than, let's say, when I was 30 years old where, you know, I'd be running around my hair on fire. I mean, I just don't bother with that anymore. David Morgan, the website is themorganreport.com or silver-investor.com. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. You're most welcome. You can listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com, or find the Ellis Martin Report in its entirety on iTunes. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of JuniorMiningResources.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be here, Ella. I remember we were talking several months ago, and I didn't know what to think then. You were the only one saying it. You, out of everyone I've spoken to, you said that gold was going to head down to 1400 before it would come up again. It's done that. Maybe it didn't go down in the fall like I think you predicted, but so what? We're just a few months away. How did you know? Hey, let me kind of preface a response by saying that it was always a cautionary comment that the potential was there that we could 
drop back down. We'd been in this big holding pattern for a long time where we had gone down and sort of kissed this support at around 1530, 1535 on gold multiple times. We're in a perfect world. We were looking for an upside breakout, but obviously that did not happen, so it broke to the downside. We may have alluded to this 1400 range or so, but we sure did not want it to happen. Virtually nobody in the business was that we follow, which we follow a lot of the other newsletter writers as well. We knew this was a possibility, but nobody was looking for this outcome that we're staring at here today. If you want to give me credit, that's great, but I cautiously do not want to take credit for being a, a guy that actually predicted that. Today, you just get to say it is what it is, okay? It's happened. Once we broke that support at 15 30 range, we just totally fell, and we fell through multiple support zones, and then last Monday, we fell even further through other support zones. As we're chatting, I guess to put it in references, we're sitting right around 1,400 on gold as we speak. Gold is not acting very strong here. We've probably been down into the 1330 range. We bounced back a little bit over the last few days. To me, it just does not seem like a lot of strength. So I'm almost fearful now of maybe one more leg to the downside. I think we should all maybe prepare ourselves for that. If it doesn't happen, that's great. But outside chance, we could see another 100 points or so to the down. You also stated some months ago, that you expected some sort of a significant rally in July or August. Is that still your view? Historically, others in the business have written about a spring rally. We sure haven't got a spring rally going right now. Spring rally that maybe take us into July. It's almost, again, do you want to say that all of the cycles are kind of inverted right now? Normally, it would have been an up move. It's going to be a down move. We're starting to believe more of this ourselves, that these markets could go flat from right here to even a more downward into July and maybe into early August before we get a turn. Where can we contain the bottom? Once we've got a bottom in place, then I think we're going to be in good shape. Ellis, the way I'd phrase it for our listeners, our investors that are already in this sector, nobody can tell you exactly what's going to happen. But here's my personal take, because I've got a lot of money on the line as well. From being in the business, but also from a personal investor standpoint, what do we do now? And I think we just have to say, the market, it is what it is. We can't control it. You're sure not going to go and sell into these markets right now. If you have available funds, you have to be looking at this as the greatest buying opportunity that probably there's ever been for these resource companies. And if you're using the expression all in, if you're already all in, I think your frustration is that you wish you had more money to buy more of these stocks at these incredibly low prices. I still look for maybe the same time frame, a market top, if you will, which sounds crazy in, in this current environment, but roughly three years out, somewhere in 2016 or so now. And I think we're still going to get close to that. Everybody's feeling a lot of pain right now in this sector. And everybody's tired of hearing the damn word patience. But I think we're going to all have to be a little more patient right here. Somehow, I think this is all going to work out. It's going to work to our advantage long term. Now, I know you sent out an alert this morning. Are you actually taking some money off the table and putting it into a few companies at this tumultuous time? I actually came in with a new position on one of the companies, a gold company that's already producing a couple of hundred ounces of gold. Last I recall, I mean, they've got at least $100 million cash in the bank. And I saw those shares kind of in a free fall yesterday down to around $0.85 cents or so, and I just thought, 
thought, I'm going to pick up some right here. Knowing full well, this may not be the bottom. I mean, I'm no guru from a trading standpoint. Don't pretend to be. But it just felt like the right thing to do. This is a stock that's been hanging in the dollar and a half to $2 range for quite some time. And they just started plummeting the share price. And I just thought, there's nothing wrong with this company. So I just stepped in and small investment, but it, it puts it into my top 20 positions. Yes, I'm cautiously, almost fearfully, you might say, deploying some capital still in those companies that I just know are going to be great performers down the road. Well, you, sir, must have cojones of steel then, and you've been in this business a while. This game isn't for the faint of cojones. It's a scary time for all of us. I see the comment of all the other newsletter writers as well. So everybody is concerned. We've all got subscribers. We can feel everybody's pain here. But yet, individually, we all have our own monies on the line as well. So we can wear two hats here. I kind of make a joke about the markets. I mean, we know that a lot of people are hurting big time. So we're not trying to make light of this current situation because it's, it's pretty damn nasty. But I do, with all full conviction for me, still see our objectives are still going to be met. A few years down the road, we're going to be greatly rewarded for all of our patience right now. So to reiterate what you said earlier and in other broadcasts, when there's basically blood in the streets, this is when you get in and hope for those five and ten bangers down the road. Yeah, if not now, when? I mean, nobody's going to tell and tell you that today is the ultimate bottom. So if you're waiting for that, it's not going to happen. All of us have to make these personal decisions. How much money do you want at risk? Can you afford any more money at risk? And with full knowledge that if you buy something today, like the position I took yesterday, say at 85 cents, I mean, if I wake up tomorrow and it's at 50 cents, then it is what it is. I can't beat myself up. I'm making a calculated decision in real time that this is what I want to do and that's what I did. I've got nobody to beat up on this for making this decision. In order to make money, you got to buy low and sell high. And if this is not low, we've been presented with a gift. The markets were low. We were looking at historically low levels for the, for the mining shares weeks ago. Now, it's like incredibly low valuations. Relative strength, I mean, at levels that you haven't seen in 20, 30 years on the HUI, etc. So this is unbelievable, an unbelievable gift in a way, if you want to look at it that way, that for those that still have some cash, that still have the opportunity to invest in this sector. And there's always time to evaluate Evaluate your own personal portfolio and look, is there anything there that you would like to lighten up on and redeploy those monies into something else? So always a rotational situation if that exists. Now, it's going to be harder to find because a lot of good companies have just been beat up really, really bad. A reader may not have much choice of, say, what to sell. You probably don't want to sell a good company at a loss. Take a look at your entire portfolio and see what can you do. Is there anything there? If you don't have cash, Anything you sell a little bit of, lighten your position a little bit to go into a position that maybe looks a little bit stronger, kind of diversify your portfolio a little bit. So the message for today is definitely don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Don't look at gift cards in the mouth. And just as uh, I'd like to say, nothing has changed. All of the reasons to buy gold and silver are still in place today, just like they were two weeks ago. So nothing has changed. So don't lose faith in this whole sector. Stop watching the CNBCs of the world that are painting such a negative picture and keep the faith that we are on the right side long term this bull market. I've been speaking with Dudley Baker. His website is JuniorMiningResources.com. Dudley, thank you so much for joining me today on the program. Good to be with you, Ellis. Thank you. You can hear the segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. We follow those that like to be followed. Follow them yourself at EllisMartinReport.com. 
In this segment, I'm speaking with Greg Johnson, the president and CEO of Prophecy Platinum. Prophecy Platinum trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL and on the OTCQX as PNIKF. Prophecy Platinum is a mining company focused on the acquisition and development of Platinum Group Metals, PGM projects, in politically stable, mining-friendly jurisdictions. Prophecy's 100% owned Wellgreen property is one of the world's largest under developed nickel sulfide projects with a very unique platinum and palladium resource that creates very compelling economics. Mr. Johnson has a long history in the mining sector, beginning with Placer Dome, now Barrick Gold. He was a co-founder of widely successful Nova Gold and most recently helmed South American Silver. Greg, welcome to the program. Well, it's good to be on with you. Give us a little background, if you would, on PGMs. Well, the platinum group metal complex, which is the most significant two metals, are platinum and palladium. They're one of the smaller precious metal segments after gold and silver. The market that's about one-tenth the size in terms of production of the gold market. It's an interesting market in that it's got the combination of precious metals, store of value type valuation that you'd use towards gold, but a strong industrial component. The biggest use today for platinum and palladium go into catalytic converters for gasoline and, and diesel engines. And that's been the really significant growth component to demand for these two metals, which pretty much has been uninterrupted growth year on year since about probably 1980 for the two metals. And what's interesting about platinum and palladium as well is that their production is very concentrated in high political risk jurisdictions. About 90% of production comes out of southern Africa and Russia. Your listeners may be aware that there's been a lot of challenges recently for the mining companies, particularly for platinum, in South Africa, which produces about 75% of the world's platinum today with labor problems, problems getting enough energy, and operating costs that are basically higher than the current price of the metals. Aren't these countries like South Africa and Zimbabwe cutting their own throats more or less when they do things like nationalize the mines or make it difficult to get in there when you have a jurisdiction like Canada and the Yukon that doesn't have any of these political risks? Well, there's no question it's not helping their industry. The challenge is that those countries are going through significant social and political turmoil right now, and they're going to try to settle on their way that they're going to legislate mining and, and the way labor and industry is going to you know, operate together. In those countries, there's been a significant move towards nationalization or partial nationalization requiring the mining companies to vest ownership in the project to other you know, groups or to the government. And that makes it really difficult for these companies to justify reinvesting new capital and, and, and keeping the mines you know, up to date. And one of the issues that you've got you know, like the gold mining industry, is these mines, particularly in South Africa, are very old, very deep, very narrow seams. You know, most of these zones that they're mining in South Africa, they're mining at depths of, you know, thousands of feet deep in the earth where it's quite hot temperatures and these zones might be anywhere from three to ten feet in width. So they're very narrow, very difficult conditions and almost all done by hand. And it just makes it a very difficult situation to try to even shift over to a more mechanical, modern mining configuration. So they're not cheap to operate. Perhaps that's another reason why the big major Anglo-American shut down their operations in South Africa. Are they looking at the Canadian Yukon? Do you expect anything to go on in the future with perhaps your company and a major like Anglo-American? There's a real scarcity, in part just because of the geology. There are not very many places in the world outside of Southern Africa and Russia that host large deposits. 
Stillwater Mining here in the United States, in Wyoming and Montana. They're one of the biggest North American producers. And then the Sudbury Mining District up in Canada is the second largest producing region out of those mines. There's a few other companies, but it's a really small space compared to, say, the gold space where you have hundreds and hundreds of development stage gold assets that are being looked at and developed or mined you know, around the world. There are a few promising regions such as the Yukon. You know, Our particular project up there is something at 7 million ounces of platinum and palladium. It's world class in terms of its scale. In fact, it's in the top three of projects outside of Southern Africa for development stage. So it's really a project that companies are starting to take note of, and I think we're going to see more interest in projects that are located in lower political risk areas in the platinum palladium space. Now it's open pitable and easier to access as opposed to the mines you just discussed in Southern Africa. Does that mean that the cost structure is going to be significantly less? And I understand you brought on John Sagman as COO, who has a great deal of experience streamlining production costs. Yeah, this project is fairly unique in the platinum space. As I said, most of the active platinum mines today are deep, underground, narrow seams that they're basically mining. Sometimes they refer to them as reefs. And these things are mostly hand mining situations. The project that we're looking at in the Yukon for Prophecy Platinum is one in which we're looking, it looks more similar to a modern, large-scale open-pit gold mine. The mineralization for the, the platinum and palladium, nickel and copper, all occur together. And these occur as wide, wide widths, up to 1,500 feet in thickness. They start right at surface and are associated with what we call ultramafic rocks, which is a geologic term for high iron-bearing rocks that come from deep in the earth. And these come right to surface at this area and would allow us to have very modern, large-scale equipment that would make our unit cost to mine an ounce of platinum or a ton of ore very low by comparison to techniques that are requiring a lot of handwork. One of the things I like about platinum and palladium as an investor and one that follows this sector is that these two metals should not be related to gold and do not always follow gold. Platinum and palladium as of late have been trading at a premium to gold, gold being much more speculative and less of an industrial metal more popular in the markets when economic news is troubling, whereas PGMs tend to fare better when industrial production picks up or we get hints that the economies of the world are improving. Furthermore, no matter what else is going on in the world economically, the production and sale of automobiles in China continues to rise as that country swiftly catches up with the rest of us, becoming a first world power. These new automobiles will continue to use catalytic converters for quite some time, Greg. Yeah, in general, in the developing world, and you know, we're hearing this BRIC, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, those developing countries in particular are seeing tremendous growth in their automobile industry. And particularly, you know, we hear the headlines all the time about the pollution in, in places like China. They're going to be required to adopt more North American, European-type standards for catalytic converters to reduce the automobile component of their pollution. You're seeing not only increased number of cars that are coming into those markets, but the requirement to have catalytic converters that contain more of the platinum palladium metal, which act as catalysts to remove those pollutants, is going to be critical. And so that combination of the fastest growing part of the world in terms of automobile purchases with the need for more metal in their catalytic converters is going to be a really strong component for growth for platinum and palladium. Now I know there are strong signs that the automobile industry is gaining steam right here in Southern California as new and used car sales are picking up. You're not necessarily relying on the North American market for your offtake, are you? 
Well, I think most analysts are projecting eventually we're going to see a turnaround in the U.S. market that way. A lot of people are saying it's been several years since we've seen a really robust automobile sector in terms of growth. But, you know, I think most of the growth in demand that's being projected for platinum and palladium is coming out of the developing world and backed up with continued consumption of new automobiles in North America and Europe. Europe's also been quite weak, the automobile sector. It's been one of its weakest periods. So I think the opportunity probably to see growth as that economy turns around and next couple of years will only add to these current estimates of, of growth of demand. Speaking of analyst, GMP Securities issued a buy recommendation a couple of weeks ago for a $2 share price for Prophecy Platinum. GMP is a mid-sized investment banking group out of Canada. They are considered one of the top groups for following the mining sector. They probably are one of the most on top of the, the platinum palladium industry before initiating their research report on Prophecy Platinum, they put out an industry sector review in which they were very bullish, in part because of the demand growth that we've been talking about for automobiles and other industrial uses for platinum and palladium. But really, on top of that, it's the fact that we've been seeing falling production of these metals, you know, not just this year, but really the production of platinum and palladium peaked in 2005, 2006. So though it's been in the headlines lately, GMP pointed out in their report, this is a trend that's been in, in motion for six plus years, and that anytime you get a sector that's got growing demand, where you're increasing consumption year on year, and falling production is a great recipe for increased metal prices. And of course, increased metal prices will generally reflect in a multiple oftentimes in the equities that are mining or exploring and developing for those prices. So they're very bullish on the platinum palladium sector. They point out that there are very few growth opportunities, new development stage projects that are outside of Southern Africa to even invest in. So yeah, they were quite excited to to work with us in terms of looking at taking our particular investment story out to investors. And you've been doing a great job of branding with regard to Prophecy Platinum. Well, I think we've got pretty good awareness. This company is relatively new, so this is an opportunity that's that's pretty early days in terms of overall investor awareness, but I think we've done a good job of starting to get the name out. There just aren't that many companies that are working in platinum and palladium. The new management team, which came in in November, including myself, John Sagman, our chief operating officer, and, and Jeffrey Mason, our chief financial officer, we've been working, particularly over the last several months, on, on doing the technical work really diving in, understanding the geologic model, understanding the next steps in engineering the opportunities. So we've just started to get out to meet with investors in the last month or so, starting to introduce this to large institutional investors, the guys that buy millions of shares. And we're getting a good response from them in terms of interest, particularly with the news headlines that we're seeing out of South Africa and other places, which suggests a real problem in terms of finding new sources of supply. Well, you have a high-profile CEO. That would be you. How did you get from gold to silver to platinum and palladium, Greg? Give us a little background on this transition. Uh, Well, yeah, I guess it's been an interesting uh, career. I started out my career with Placer Dome, who became Barrick Gold, the world's largest gold mining company, and had a great opportunity to be able to work on projects throughout the world during my tenure with them. Then in 1998, along with two other geologists, started Nova Gold, which has become one of the, the biggest gold resource reserve holding companies in the world with projects in Alaska and Western Canada. And I was with Nova Gold for about 12 years as one of the, the founders there. Had a great success there. We grew that company from you know a very 
small startup company, about a $50 million market cap to, you know, ultimately, I think at one point it was about a $4 billion company. And then took a period of the last few years, uh, went down and worked in South America with a company called South American Silver. That was an exciting new place for me to be working. Hadn't spent time previously in my career down in South America, but again, that's one of the world-class districts for large, particularly copper, gold, and, and silver projects. And that company had a great success as well. We grew a 100 million ounce silver deposit into a 400 million ounce silver deposit. But a lesson in geopolitics, oftentimes when you're working outside of the U.S. or Canada, politics starts to come into your projects in a, in a very significant way. And for South American silver, we ended up seeing our very large project nationalized by the government in Bolivia. So though we had had tremendous technical success and early financial uh, success in the market, clearly it was a huge disappointment for, for the team and for our investors to, to see all that effort fall to the wayside. So the opportunity to step on board on a project located in Canada, in the Yukon Territory, with all the really key elements that we look for in terms of facilitating development, scale of the asset, this is a project that's large enough that this is going to be something that's going to be interested to the very biggest mining companies as a potential uh, partnership or acquisition, seven million ounces of platinum palladium metal right next to the Alaska Highway, which gives us access to world-class ports in Alaska by a paved highway. It's an area that's had historic mining. It was a mining operation in the 1970s, and it's an area that's seen continued placer mining in the streams around the area. We've got the native people there, what they call First Nations in Canada, very, very supportive of the project. This is in the, the core of their traditional territory and they're working closely with us to, to facilitate the development. So all those key elements that one would see and want to see in a project, in my mind, are here in this particular opportunity. And it's in a metal that's very, very rare to find large deposits outside of high geopolitical risk areas. So I was excited to come on board here. The team's been in place since November. And as I said, we've been focused on some of the initial technical work to get everything where it needs to be. And at this point, we're ready to get out and start meeting with investors and, and demonstrating the project we've got and the opportunity at an early stage to see something that uh, can really grow in value. Many of the analysts, newsletter writers, media pundits such as myself, along with investors, are asking this question. If you have the resource, if you've proven it out in this challenging market, when are you going to go into production? Yeah, that's, that's always the challenge and you know it can take years. I mean, the average project literally from early discovery phase, when you first realize you've got something, through the engineering phase into the design and eventual construction and permitting phase, can take 10 to 15 years. It often requires multiple companies to become involved. So like my experience at Nova Gold and, and South American Silver, we are on this project in the Yukon, like the fifth or sixth company to have worked on this project. And we have the benefit of all that historic work to date. This is an opportunity because the infrastructure is in place to be able to move this project quite quickly. So we actually believe that we could be at a feasibility stage, which is your final engineering stage within two years and start to construct on the project within a, a year, potentially, of receiving permits. So it's a project that could move very rapidly by, by industry standards, and that's aided by the fact that the permitting and infrastructure look like they should be fairly straightforward. So this is a project in its own right that really could be producing cash flow within just a few years. 
And, you know, that's fairly rare in our industry, particularly with increased scrutiny on environment, permitting, and so forth that you're seeing, not only in North America, but around the world. So, you know, this is a project that we can do right, and because it's got so many of the elements that you need to build a mine already in place, we think we can do it fairly quickly. That sounds fantastic. In addition to your flagship Wellgreen project that we've been talking about in the Yukon, you have the Shakespeare project in Sudbury, Ontario that's near production. Tell us about that. Our Shakespeare project is located in the Sudbury Mining District that we referred to earlier as one of the, the major producing regions in North America for platinum and palladium and nickel and copper. And this is a project that we acquired last year, 100% interest in. It was an operating mine from 2008 to 2012, but because of low metal prices, it was shut down. We're quite excited, particularly with John Sagman, our chief operating officer's experience. He spent 20 years with the majors in the Sudbury District, that being Extrata and Valet. We think that we have some opportunities for significant cost reduction that we're looking at, including an an alternate shipping route to the, the milling and smelting facility as well as, as looking at reduction of our operating costs. And so we're, we're right now studying this. The opportunity here is that this is an open pit mine. It has been mined up until last year. It's fully permitted and ready to go. So either because of a rise in metal prices, which would turn it back on, or because we can reduce operating costs uh, at today's relatively modest prices, of particularly the nickel and copper, we think that this is something that could be turned on fairly quickly and turn into a, a cash flow producer for the company. And when we look at our our estimates of what that might look like, you know, potentially it could pay for our engineering and development costs of the uh, Wellgreen project, which would be quite an exciting development for the company because you'd be self-funded through at least the the engineering and design phases of the project. In the interim, how are you financed for your projects going forward? Well, right now the company is in better shape than many of our, our peers. We've got about $2 million in cash, and we have been talking with a number of investors who've put money in the company uh, previously about doing an additional financing that would allow us to do a program for 2013 that would include engineering and metallurgical test work to demonstrate uh, the levels of recovery and production we would expect uh, for the project, as well as to undertake basic new expansion drilling. We've got some exciting targets that could be potentially even as large as the current resource that we have already defined, as well as additional drilling to confirm our confidence in the resource to take it towards that confidence level you'd want to see in a reserve. We're in pretty good shape. We will be raising some money here next few months as part of uh, preparations for our summer field program. And then we would anticipate being able to come back to the market first quarter of next year with a substantial update on our engineering and and our resource on the project, which would be an important milestone that investors would want to see. And Greg, tell us about your share structure, if you don't mind. Right now, the the company is is fairly tightly structured. We've got around 68 million shares outstanding, which on a per ounce of platinum basis means that you've got significant leverage to the metal got about $150 worth of uh, platinum and palladium metal per share. The company has uh, significant holdings from insiders. Uh, We do believe in being an owner-builder team. We've got about 6% ownership, and if you look at the insider filings here over the last few months, you'll see that um, we've all been buying shares to a significant degree at these uh, current very attractive prices. I mean, I think it's worth maybe just mentioning uh, where we are in the sector. It's been a very challenging period in the market for the precious metals in general. If we look back, gold bottomed, seems like a long time ago, but in 1999, it hit $250 an ounce. And then it, it hit that same level again in 2001. 
And we've had a series of consolidations in the gold and silver and platinum space since that point as the metal price has risen to new highs. And then often we've seen between a year to two year kind of consolidation periods before moving to new highs again. This last peak in the market was December 2010, and that's when most of the mining companies hit their price peaks. The metals peaked just a bit later than that. And we've been in a consolidation correction phase since that period. And I was just recently looking at some presentation materials for a a technical analyst in the sector, and he was showing a very long-term chart that demonstrated the current valuation in the market of the mining companies versus the metal is at the lowest prices on that ratio since 1999 and the crash in 2008. So it looks like, you know, at this point, the sector has gone through such a, a significant consolidation that it's at one of those rare once-in-a-decade type price points. And all the negativity that we see in the market right now, I think, suggests that we may be very near to a turning point, which could be a you know a very significant opportunity for investors in the sector. And you're all increasing your share position with your own money. I'm sure you have options, but as my friend, analyst, and newsletter writer Dudley Baker would say, you've got skin in the game. How many companies out there now are putting their money where their mouth is as far as the management is concerned? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's really a statement for how strongly we feel that this is a, an outstanding value at this current share price level. You know, effectively, if we look back in our own company's history, we'd have to go back to the point prior to the announcement of the 7 million ounce resource to find a share price level at this point. So effectively, the market has taken all of the increased share price out since we discovered 7 million ounces of platinum. So you're buying the company at the same price you could have bought it before that was discovered. And I think that our team collectively believes that with the opportunities on the engineering side, the fact that this asset is an open, pitable, very large-scale platinum palladium asset, which could be producing very cost-effectively in the lower quartile, lower 25th percent of global mining costs, that this is an opportunity that has tremendous upside potential. I mean, you may recall, Ellis, in the past, looking at some of the presentations for Nova Gold and South American Silver, we've shown a a valuation change that typically happens in the sector as companies advance from early development stage through advanced development stage into production. And you see that same pattern in the platinum companies. And just to kind of give you an indication of what those values are looking like, the two producers of platinum and palladium in North America, that would be Stillwater and North American Palladium, currently traded around $170 of metal per ounce in the ground. That's what the market is currently valuing those companies at, which is less than their profit margin per ounce. At the advanced development stage, so this is a stage before you construct and go into production, the average for the advanced developers is only $30 per ounce. So it's a, it's a huge discount on the value once those assets are in production. And the average valuation for the early development stage, so the, the first engineering stage where we are today, is around $3 an ounce. So just by moving your project from early development stage to advanced development stage, you potentially have a 10x gain in market value. And as you take it from advanced developer up to producer, you know, potentially there's another you know, 6 to 10x increase in value. And so for investors who can identify, whether it be in gold, silver, or platinum, opportunity is that that early stage, once there's a resource and once there's a first engineering stage to demonstrate viability, this is one of those places in the market where one can see with the right team in place and the right asset, huge multiples on their investment uh, over a, a three or four year period. And from following you over the years, it's safe to say that these are opportunities that you like. 
you like to come in way into the radar. Of course, you increase the visibility of the company when that happens, and then you assist in taking that company in early stages all the way into fruition. That's really the, the opportunity, and I think when investors can, can team up with groups in the sector that have serial success, I think it's, it's a real opportunity. When you've got the components that people look at are the people, the property, the ability to raise money, and the jurisdictional location. Is it in a place that I can feel safe? I'm going to be able to develop my asset. And when you've got those three or four components in place, and you're at the early stage, and you're in a market that's been in correction phase for more than two and a half years, you've got the recipe for a very exciting investment entry point and an opportunity to be able to participate with those experts in that sector in terms of future revaluation. And you know, this is a cyclical market. The mining companies move with the metal prices and sentiment for the sector. It's been a very negative sentiment environment here for the last two years. And that will have an end, and it'll probably be a surprise when it does end, and it will start moving into a bullish phase where people are worried about missing their profit opportunity. And when it does, people that have been picking away at high-quality names at this point in the market, I think, will be well-rewarded. Well, Greg, this has been a great interview. I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Well, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to updating you again soon. I've been speaking with Greg Johnson, President and CEO of Prophecy Platinum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL and on the OTCQX as PNIKF. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com, or find the Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. You've just shared part of your life with the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals hand over cash to people like us to let you hear all about themselves. Invest at your own risk. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.